Welcome to the Write It Down podcast with the 1513 Network. I'm Brooke Murata, bringing you one-on-one interviews to challenge, to inspire, and to encourage. On today's episode, I sit down with author, professor, and former president of the Florida Senate, Mike Herodopoulos. Mike also served in the Florida House of Representatives. Not only has Mike been successful with his political career, he is also a friend to many in Brevard, a father to three children, and husband to Dr. Stephanie Herodopoulos. I thoroughly enjoyed my conversation with Mike, and I know you will too. You know what to do. Sit back, relax, and get your pens ready, because this is Write It Down. All right. Welcome back to Write It Down. I'm Brooke Murata. I'm sitting across from Mike Herodopoulos. Um, Mike, it's a pleasure having you this morning. Great to be here. It's exciting to be in Melbourne, Florida, and uh, there's a great little studio out here. It is. It's super nice. We're tucked away in downtown Melbourne, in the heart of downtown Melbourne. Um, Mike, I have you on the show um, mainly because I met you and I like you, and I think we connect on a lot of different ideas, and I think that we have the same heartbeat for people, and so that's like... It's just a privilege to have you. Mike, you are, the word politician is just, it makes people feel tense. Like you're Mike, but you like politics and you love people. So that's how I want to frame you. Well, a politician has gotten a very bad name, as you know, for a long time. I like to think of myself as a professor, an author, a a dad, a husband. Yes. And I happen to be a former, as some people say, a recovering politician. A recovering politician. So what that means in Mike's life is you were with the Florida House of Representatives, 2000-2003, 2003 to 2012 was um, with the Senate, Florida Senate, but the last two years, president of Florida Senate. What is What type of weight do you feel being the president of the Florida Senate? Well, it, it's huge. I mean, think about our budget. It's almost, when I was the leader of the Senate, it was about an $80 billion budget, almost 21 million people. I had the honor to represent. I was elected by approximately 500,000 people here in Brevard, Indian River, and Osceola County. And it's just an awesome responsibility. But I got to admit, I had a great time doing it, too, because as a former professor and author and all that good stuff, I was living history as opposed to teaching history history yeah. and it was just a fascinating ride and it's even today I sometimes look at some of the old pictures when I was in the House or Senate and I'm like God I forgot all about that moment or this like moment because life. there's so much going on it's yeah. like a, a really fast game you forget some of the plays yeah so did what made you want to get into politics what were you like eight years old like man I want to be up there or was I, it just know. kind of you fell into it <laughs> well I'll, I'll tell you this none of my high school friends ever thought I'd be in politics oh, goodness. but I, I know you love sports yeah I love sports if, it, if there's a sport on TV I'll watch it. Right. And growing up, I played sports. I loved sports from tennis to football to basketball. You name the sport in season, I played it. And and what what drove me towards politics in the end was that my dad was an FBI agent. Ooh. So as my mom actually worked for the FBI as well. That's where they met. And what was neat is that you know my dad it cultivated my interest in history. And, and eventually, I, I love the story of biography. And of uh-huh. course, the greatest story ever told short of the Bible is the story of America. Mm-hmm. And so I, gra- I gained this passion over time for history and thus politics, American history. And I, that's it. I, in college, I realized, you know what, I'm probably not going to be a professional tennis player where I was playing at Stetson University yeah. at the time. And I said, you know, what do I want to do with my life? And I realized that I really gained joy from learning history and politics. Wow. Yeah. And I realized also sometimes that my professors were a little boring. They didn't make history or politics interesting. And I thought it was so interesting because it was about people. Mm. And uh, as you probably know from your experience at UF, 
One of the more interesting classes everyone wants to major in but can't get a job in is psychology or sociology. Yeah. Those are interesting things. I try to make my history courses um, like a psychology course or a sociology course so people understand it's not a bunch of dead old white guys yeah. or Martin Luther King yeah. or Abraham Lincoln. These are real people. people. And, and we, like, like, for example, how they, they turned the Hamilton story into this amazing play that made it about people and mm. interactions, not about uh, domestic uh, economic policy of Alexander Hamilton. It's, it's about <laughs> an individual who okay. had great talent and some foibles. Right. Okay. So you mentioned you went to Stetson University. What was that like? I mean, were you just like the typical college guy playing sports and just... Yeah, I I never ran I never ran for office when I was in college. Okay, I, I went to college to Stetson. I actually grew up in Newark. When you're an FBI agent's son, you move around the country almost like an army brat. Yeah. So I we were living in New York when I decided to come to Stetson. I played Division One tennis for them for a couple of years. Wow. And it was a lot of fun, but I realized I wasn't going to be a pro. And I loved history, and I loved hanging out with my friends. I loved playing intramural flag football, right. all the good stuff. And it was just a slowly developed a passion for it. And I, I love Florida. I mean, once I came here and I experienced a winter in Florida, I said, I think I'll stay. This right. makes a lot of sense to be in Florida in the winter as opposed to, you know, shoveling snow up in New York. So it, it was, it's been a great ride. I've been in Florida since 1988. I'll never move. I love this community I live in. And uh, it's just been an incredible blessing coming here and, and kind of looking at things with fresh eyes. Yeah, absolutely. So moving around a lot as an FBI child pretty much mm-hmm. D- was that hard to connect with people or to like build authentic friendships and how is that translated even now in politics like you you're still a people like uh, yeah that's a great point and Brooke, I, i'll take because you know I, I i see the challenges that are we have three kids they're 21 17 and 13 and the challenges they face with all these new uh, difficulties whether it be from vaping the difficulties of the internet etc uh, yeah. and let alone the social interactions that come with it and i i remember being the new kid at school a lot and so i had to figure out how to connect with people i remember moving from arkansas where i used to live to new york believe me i, I spoke a lot slower than most people in new york yeah and had a very southern accent and i had to make that adjustment and what i found is a common bond again we talked about earlier it was sports yeah i can connect with folks that way i had some, some athletic talent and i played at different sports and and that was part of a team and i and it helped me acclimate a lot easier and i also like to think i was just a fun guy to be around i was easygoing you know i, I don't like those people who are always like oh we're getting ready for a party give me three hours let me think about it i was a guy let's go have some fun yeah okay i'll do that just like when you said hey we come on the on your yeah. show sure let's go do it let's, let's just do it yeah let's, and let's see what happens yeah so do you think that people are losing the art of connection oh yeah How, like do you see that in your kids a hundred percent. I mean, I, they, they, it's, it's interesting watching kids and I, I, we all watch our kids and we're, we're looking at with their friends yeah. and they're, they're sitting around the five of them texting each other. I'm like, you're, you're right next to them. And in my generation, everyone was talking on the phone Yeah. and, and we actually had answer machines back then. And the biggest frustration my wife and I were talking about the other night was the, the busy signal. <laughs> yeah. And today they don't talk in the phone. They just text instant or Snapchat or Instagram, all that stuff. And you're like. I'm, I'm a little worried they're losing that art, which you have clearly as mm. communication. Yeah. Because that's that connection, just like we talk about Alexander Hamilton and George Washington or Thomas Jefferson, is you need to connect with people. And when you do it in a, in a, in a medium like a text, it doesn't convey emotion and what those people are feeling. And, and I think you lose that ability to truly communicate. And yeah, and I think like, and something about you, Mike, that you mentioned briefly before the show was you have a passion for educating people. And so do you think that because we're so 
so consumed with our phones and Instagram and what we look like. And we're losing the art of connection that nobody's actually being educated of what's really going on in their town, what's going on in Florida. Because ultimately, like if it's not like a quick 30 second video, you lose people's attention. Yeah. yeah. Sadly, you know, everyone said, I hate bumper sticker answers, but we're accepting a lot of bumper sticker answers. When I asked, you know, there's, there's a lot of stories coming out now about the younger generation saying socialism is a good idea. Well, let's spend three minutes. I don't need more than three minutes to explain why socialism, socialism. is bad. Yeah. And, um, but, but people fall for these easy catch lines or because a pretty face is saying it, mm-hmm. that they might be a good idea. I, I mean, I, I think what, what I'd like to see people do more of is before they go in the ballot box, don't have to know everything, but know the basics. So when you know when someone's telling you the truth, right? and, and that's really important. And one of the things I brought with me today, and yeah. we'll talk about later with my new book, but when yeah. I was teaching at the college level at the beginning, I saw this with my students, you know, 15, 20 years ago, where they didn't even have the un- basic understanding what Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, for that matter, what their taxes were, you name it. And I, I was, it was frustrating because that means that they can fall for things that they don't have the base information to ask yeah. a logical question. Well, and nobody's really teaching that anymore. I've had that like discussion with my family multiple times. It's like, I know how to pass a test. I know how to study and I know how to get the grade that I, I need to pass the class to get the GPA I need to graduate. Mm-hmm. Then you're out in the real world. You, I like whenever I had to set up a 401k, I was like, what do I do pre-tax or post-tax? And I'm like asking all of these questions that I like thrown in there. They're not teaching that. And not that it needs to be like a home ec class, but like if you're not requiring people to know how to do certain things, we're becoming, I think, for lack of better words, dumber as a society. And I don't know if they're doing that on purpose to keep us at a distance, like yeah, I, I mean, financial literacy, like you're talking about, is just common sense. And I mean, little things like you know, I, I, you know, you need to go every year to register your car. I mean, these are things that parents need to be doing, of course, as well. But it, it's a challenge in this day and age. And 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 to your point, most people don't understand. I mean, I remember, I got to admit, even my, I remember seeing my first ever real paycheck. Mm. I'm like, who is this withholdings guy? Who is FICA? <laughs> who is MQF and E, which yes. is Medicare? I'm like, yeah. they just took 25 percent of all the money I just earned. You know, where, where's it all going? Yeah, and the more the more aware you become, the more you're like, okay, I want to elect people in office that have the same view as me because they're the ones really going to bat for us and our ideas. Um, I was going to ask you, what is the campaigning like? Like, I don't envy that, I have to say. It's hard. And and there's two parts of the campaign. One is, of course, getting your message out. And the other part is to get your message out, you got to raise money. Mm. And that's not fun either. One of the things I'll have, I had some fun with is my last name is kind of unique. Herodopolis is not an Irish name. It okay. is a very Greek name. My dad was actually born in Greece. Wow. And, and our slogan, this is how kind of ridiculous we are at times. My slogan, bumper sticker slogan was, what's a Herodopolis? Because when people hear my name for the first time, they think I'm a sea turtle or a dinosaur. And we actually, our first TV spot was actually that very thing with a big blue yeah. screen that said, what's a Herodopolis? A guy was kind of like we're doing yeah. an interview saying, I think it's a sea turtle. Another person came on and said, I think it's a dinosaur. And then I came on and said, what's a Herodopolis? I'm Mike Herodopolis. I want to be your next state representative. And it worked because name identification wow. is a big That's deal. Clever. And, and you have to be it because again, you have to break through the muddle. If my name was Joe Smith, eh. yeah. but Herodopolis is unique. Kind of like, I can't spell Schwarzenegger, but I remember the I name, know. right? Yeah, exactly. So in that case, that was one thing that we had a little niche on. But the hardest thing about campaigning in the begin first part 
is you have to raise money. And and uh, you're a young person. You're mm-hmm. going on dates with different guys mm-hmm. and so forth. And I remember when I was doing, they're doing the same thing. But guys are nervous when they're asking a girl out on a date, right? Yeah. Well, here's the part about getting your person's vote or, or asking for a fundraiser. You ask someone out on a date and you say to them, oh, by the way, if you say yes, um, could you pay for it? I mean, it's hard to raise money. you got to call people up and ask them for money because a race for the state legislature back then was like a $150,000, $200,000 proposition. Today, it's even more. Wow. And so you got to go out and raise the money. But the way you do it is not just by asking, but you have to show them your competency. And so the way I think I really won beyond anything else is that I realized that if you really want to campaign well, it's hard to get on TV or on the yeah. radio and so forth. you got to meet people one-on-one. And so for uh, 11 straight months in the year of 2000, I knocked on about 60 to 80 doors every single day, introduced myself, and I think that's how I really won the race taking the time. It's like staying in shape. You got to do a little bit every day. Yeah. And by, by doing that, I think we saw like 20,000 people. Yeah. And if you talk to 20,000 people door to door, send them a nice thank you note, like a good yeah. boy, uh, yeah. after it's over, you're going to remember you. And of course you get the signs out on the TV late, but that one-on-one touch I think is essential. And I think it's a lost art kind of talking about what you did before where kids today are texting. It's that lost art of conversation, that lost art of talking to people, looking in their eye. The lost art of getting a personal letter in the mail, which we would often do. So how did you handle the nose when people were just kind of like shut the door in your face type of thing? Yeah, that's a tough one. Uh, that yeah. was, I had many times, you know, I don't know if you know where Barefoot Bay is, a little further yeah. south in our county. It, it's a mobile home or manufactured home community. And they, I remember one time it was like 100 degrees at least in August of 2000. And, and, the, and they just retarded the roads or repaved the roads and it smelled so bad. Yeah. And I was knocking on doors and... and I'm like, what am I doing? Is this really worth what it? What I right? want to yeah, do, yeah. And I remember knocking at a person's door, and to your point, bro, wham, you know, I don't want to talk. You politicians, got, and I, I'm, I'm really like, maybe I'm doing the wrong thing. And, and I, kind of like a God thing we talked yeah. about before we got yeah. there. The next person I met was the nicest person. You wanted something to drink. Oh, I heard about you. I'm going to vote for you. Keep you know working hard. It was like, I still get chills thinking about that. And, and it's like anything in life. You got to put the effort in. You're going to face a lot of closed doors, mm-hmm. but you got if you believe in what you're doing, you'll persevere. And even if you don't win the first time, I was lucky. I've never lost a race. Yeah. But it was all about every day. Even those mornings I didn't want to get out of bed. I said I got to go do this if I'm going to win. If I want to make an impact. Yeah. So are you obviously like hindsight? You're thankful you didn't give up. But I think there are people out there, whether they're in, in the race for politics or in life when they're chasing a dream or a job, that they take those no's and then they give up. Mm-hmm. Or it just ends up piling up. Yep. So, like, in a sense, you got to broaden your shoulders a little bit. Great point. And yeah. I think, like, what you said, even, like, you know, kind of then comes God. Because most of the time, at least as, like, a believer, for me, I if I get rejected, I can kind of bounce back because God always provides. And But there's people out there that don't believe that either. They have their own different religion or mm-hmm. idea of God or the universe looking out for them. So in your in your life, did you obviously, like, here's a glass of water. Like, let me bring you in. You had those moments. In your personal life, were there people placed in your life that uh, were... Yeah. Well, again, I get chills to even think about it. In fact, when I was walking up to the studio, I was talking to my mom this morning. I mean, yeah. 
I always had that that stability. I mean, you know, one of the things that I, I think we were why we're running into problems in, in society in general today is that a lot of kids grow up with a single parent mm-hmm. home, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember never having a father, and and I was blessed, or I am blessed to say, with a mom and dad uh, who were always. I, w- I woke up every morning knowing they loved me, even when I didn't deserve it, right? And and having that base, having that that relationship with God, as you mentioned. I always know I can fall back on that. That is a big thing. And today I'm afraid that as people losing touch with their Lord and Savior, or they might just have a single parent who has to be at work all day. And so their babysitter or their influence is either their iPhone or their TV. It's a big challenge today. Um, But but to your point, you talked about earlier. Things happen, and, and and just like with your Marcus Allen interview mm-hmm. and the other ones you've done, it's, yeah. it, things kind of happen, but you're going to face a lot of people telling you, no, you can't do it. And candidly, the easy thing to do is to quit. Absolutely. The hard thing is to persevere, and it's the people who persevere and, and, and kind of go through those challenges. I remember when I decided to run, I talked to the leader of the party here in town, mm-hmm. and they're like, oh, you can't win. Have you looked in the mirror? You look like a little kid. You, this other person is going to beat you. You have no chance. And I had to look at myself in the mirror and say, Am I going to really do this? But by having that mm-hmm. foundational element of the Lord, my Lord and Savior, absolutely, the, my, the foundational element of my parents before I got married, that was a big deal to have that rock. Right. And 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 people need to, to if they're facing challenges, to find that rock. It could be their their yeah. the significant other. It could be our Lord and, and Savior. Savior. Absolutely. These things are essential because in this crazy world. You're going to run into a lot of no's. You're going to run into a lot of bad people, candidly. Yeah. And if you don't have that to fall back, and it's a tough one. I think, and I could go off on a sermon on this, mm-hmm. but I think it, it boils down to identity and where you actually find your identity and your worth. Because if you found your identity in making it in politics or being the president of the Florida Senate, and that didn't happen, you could have crumbled. I mean, it did happen, but at the same time, if it didn't, your identity was rooted in much more. And I think that's... You know, I think that's what people are missing nowadays. And they're not getting that from their families, like you said. Um, kind of transitioning, what did your day-to-day life look like in politics? Maybe with the Senate, but then also, I know the House of Rep was a long time ago, mm-hmm. but kind of like a snapshot of what your days look like. Chaos. Total chaos. Uh, you know, it, 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 to your point, I had a lot of foundational elements. Before I ran for office, I knew why I was a Republican. Okay. I knew why I was a conservative. Yeah. Too many people run for office today to be important. And those are the ones that you just pointed out perfectly who fall by the wayside if they lose a race or if it's their whole identity. Right. You, know, you need to be, my name is Mike Caradopoulos who happened to be in the Florida House and Florida Senate. At not my name is Senator so and so, right? And that's a big deal. And 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 I'm like, I can go off on a whole sermon on yeah, that yeah. too, sadly <laughs> enough. But yeah. that that is a key element. And so a day to day thing is you have to be it's it's a part time job officially being in the legislature in Florida, but if you're gonna do it right, you're really gonna treat it like a full time job. And so from the second I woke up, I was usually doing an interview on T V or on the radio or dealing with something. And to, to literally the minute I went to bed, it was all consuming. And it was a challenge, but I knew if I wanted to really make an impact, not just be in the legislature, but make an impact, I had to go above and beyond. You have to separate yourself from the crowd. And so that meant continuing to knock on doors. That meant visiting 500 schools in my tenure in office, talking to teachers and individuals whenever they needed to, being active on the internet. I mean, you need to touch people as much as possible and recognize how important they are. And and one of the things we did was... um, 
We literally sent birthday cards if you were a donor every year. If you were a likely voter, we sent you. In other words, we wanted to touch you when it wasn't election time so that you knew that I cared about you, not just at election time. I think that was important. Yeah. But a typical day in Tallahassee would be this. Um, when at, we'll use my time as Senate president. Okay. I was literally in the office by 7 o'clock, and, and you're, you're working with the governor and the Speaker of the House, and you're kind of figure out this $80 billion budget. You're the ones who come up with like the guideposts for it. And I had Rick Scott and a guy named Dean Cannon who was the speaker. Yeah. And we worked things out. And we weren't the only ones, but we're the ones who had to kind of set the pace. And so all throughout the day, you try to plan things. And then you also want to be cognizant of the fact that you're going to have to react to things as well. But what was really important, going back to what we said earlier, is if you know where you stand on the major issues, it makes it really easy a lot easier. The people who don't really have a compass, they're always kind of fluttering all back and forth. I knew where I stood. I was not going to raise the tax. I knew I was pro-life. I knew I believed in the Second Amendment. I knew that if we're going to balance the budget, when I was there, we couldn't spend more. We'd have to spend less. I mean, if you have those guideposts, this job becomes actually easier. It's the people who are just there to be somebody who I found always to be in chaos. Yeah. And I think like what I get from that too, is that you're not, you weren't easily swayed by like, you knew what you stood for. And so if somebody else came with an opposing argument, you were able to maybe recognize, okay, that's, that doesn't agree. That doesn't align with what I believe. So, but I'm still going to stay true to what I believe in. And I think nowadays we are so easily swayed. I mean, even like going back to the whole being a believer and like, Christ, it's like, I have to balance that. It's like, all right, I don't want to be like too much to overwhelm people, but at the same time, like, that's what I believe. And that's what I hold my life to and where like till the day I die, I'm going to proclaim. And so I think nowadays we are also living in this, like you do whatever, say whatever, feel whatever, whatever day you choose. And so I think when it comes to politics, that is going to be a challenge for the next generation, because if somebody's not hitting the nail on the head with everything you believe, you're going to be like, wait, do I believe, maybe I am pro choice maybe I am and you start to you know so I think that's really unique and cool that you are like I knew what I believed and you took that in with you and I, I mean I don't pretend to know it all but on the big issues you have to do that and, and I mean, you see so many of the candidates today, especially on the Democrats' side, sadly enough, is that they, when they started in office, they believed in one thing, and they've done almost a, a total yeah. 180. Bill Nelson, our former U.S. Yeah. senator, is a great example of mm-hmm. that. And, and it's just so important to, to know what you believe in, and, and especially in this challenging world of the political correctness, what you, you allow it to believe or not. And, you know, it, it, I believe in, in free speech, and I think there should be a, uh, an equal audience. But when, when people are saying, you can't say it because you're a conservative, or you can't say this because you believe in your Lord and Savior, it becomes a problem. Um, but yeah, that's why you need to be grounded. And, and again, those foundational elements to me were so important. And my brother's in construction. He, he's, he builds literally skyscrapers. Wow. And, and he knows that if you want to build a skyscraper in the sky, you need to have a really solid foundation. And so when I taught my class, it's the same thing. I want to make sure my, that student walked out of my class knowing that these are the foundational elements of the United States. They didn't have to know every single date, but they needed to understand why the United States is the way it is. And the same thing with, with when I was in office. If when you walked into my office, you knew where I stood on the major issues. If you're coming in to ask for a tax increase, my answer is no. I, mean, I don't care what you tell me. Um, but on other issues, I'd be more open because I didn't have an opinion. These might be more regulatory issues where a doctor or dentist or nurse had some type of uh, 
issue they had that didn't go into my core elements, you'd be open to the discussion. But what you need to be careful there is, again, you have to do your homework. What I would always do, and I know what a lobbyist is a person who tries to influence your opinion. Okay. When they come in and talk to you, what you need to do, and this is what a smart business person does, what a good lawyer does, is that you ask questions to that person who's trying to influence you of which you already know the answer. Oh. And then you can see if they're honest or not. So I would have these people come into my office. I knew the issue, both sides, and I, maybe I wasn't even sure how I was going to vote. But I would ask questions to that lobbyist and say, what about this? I, I'm not really sure. What does this mean? And if they didn't tell me the truth, the likelihood of me voting with them is slim to none. Yeah. That, that's really important. You've got to do your homework when people are trying to influence you so you can test their candor, in some case, truth. And, and speaking of truth, when you're when you're in politics and you don't have to give names or specifics, mm -hmm. but were there certain times where you noticed somebody was lying and you knew the truth? And how do you handle that as a a believer, B as you know, a politician that wants to do the right thing? And even just like thinking about your family of like, I don't want people like this around my family. Like, how do you handle that? It's a challenge. And look, I, I was not 100% either. I mean, I, yeah. there's sometimes when I, I didn't tell the whole story, and, and, I, and that, that was my fault. But it, you also have to recognize that you're, you're not in there alone. There's, there's 40 state senators. Each okay. state senator represented about a half a million people. And you had to get along with that body because your enemy today on one issue might be your best friend tomorrow on a different issue, depending on how the fight was going. And so I always kind of held my tongue. Um, one of the things I really believe in is, is being a good listener. You're clearly a good listener. You get it. And, and you learn something when you're listening. When you're talking, you learn nothing. And so I really tried to hold my tongue and only spoke when I felt like I really, really needed to. Because when you speak too much in a group of 40 like that, people start tuning you out. And I found more invariably that the more people that talked in the 40, the less likely they are to be good listeners anyway. So the most influential people, when you actually watch the Florida legislature in action, if that's such yeah, a word, yeah. um, is, are the ones who aren't talking the floor. They've already worked out the agreements behind the scenes, or they know where they stand. They're not going to be influenced by a, a, a charismatic speech. They're going to be influenced by fact and where their heart is. Right. And, and with that and kind of segueing, I don't envy the president. I don't envy that role, whoever he is sitting in office. Do you empathize with our president right now and, sure. and the stuff that he's... I even empathize with Barack Obama, even I like his opinions. Right. Uh, but this is a tough job. I mean, the barrage of criticism, the difficult choices you face, you name it. Uh, same thing with the members of the House and Senate today. What, what I don't like is when they don't stand by their principles. Yeah. Um, you know, for example, in Washington, they, they have an unlimited checkbook. They can borrow as much as they want. What I liked about the Florida legislature, we have a balanced budget amendment. We had to make the tough choices. I wish they had more of those in Washington. But the job as president, you, you empathize with them, but at the same token, they didn't, they didn't get drafted like in the Army here. I mean, they chose to run. They understand the, the foibles here. Uh, and I got to admit, I sometimes I'm sure these guys who are president or the past presidents have said, they're like the dog that caught the car. They're like, oh, my gosh, I actually won. What do I do now? And, and I, I got to admit, sometimes when I was in office, I'm like, golly, I didn't expect to have to make this decision or, or say yes or no to a certain project that had such ramifications. It's a lot of weight on your shoulders. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine. I say this all the time. Like at the end of the day, these are people that are going home at night. Mm -hmm. Like, and we think about like my life and maybe my sphere of influence is way smaller compared to a politician, but 
the things that people say about me or behind my back or anybody, you know, anybody really is, it kind of sticks with you and you go to bed and those things circumvent your mind all the time. And so while, you know, the president might warrant some of those comments, but by not standing by their policies or by tweeting or whatever the big thing is, there's still people with the weight of our country or the weight of our state on their shoulders. And so I think that it goes back to that identity thing. There, there's so many people that dispatch their, their role with our identity. We're going to take a quick break from our show to discuss Patreon. Patreon is a secure site that allows creators to make albums, videos, and podcasts like the one you're listening to now. So if you enjoy Write It Down, please head over to our website, xvxiii.com or spell out 1513.com in your browser. Click on the Patreon banner at the top of the page and show your support. Write It Down is made possible by the 1513 Network, so please send over your love, your support for the other shows as well. If not, just stick with Write It Down because I'm the coolest, the realest, the illest. Anyways, back to the show. And with you, we, we briefly talked about your family, but you're married to a powerhouse, Stephanie. She's, I, I read up on her too. I met her. She's stunning. Um, when did she enter the scene for you? I mean, you were, I kind of read a little bit about your story, but I'll kind of let you sure, sure. Uh, share about that. Well, going back to Stetson, yeah. uh, I was actually a junior at Stetson when she started her freshman year. We, we kind of met, didn't know each other well, and our, we never really saw each other um, beyond that. And then one day when I was actually running for the Senate in 2003, I was waving on a street corner with my big signs, uh, hair gospel signs, and, and she drove by and she's like, God, that's got to be the same guy I, I knew from college. And, and, but she didn't wow. do anything about it, but one of her um, patients actually sent me a letter and said, hey, my doctor went to school with you. She, we happen to be talking about it. You should give her a call and say hi. And so I, being a friendly guy, and I saw how good looking she is, I saw her give her a call. I'm not married. I'm not dating anybody. <laughs> and and we, we went on a date, and literally the rest is history. We've been together since the fall of 2003, and we have three kids, and uh, you know we're just really blessed. And, and she is a powerhouse. Is right. She's she's a lot smarter than I am, so I got to... You know, I, I can't lie to her because she'll remember. Yeah. So I just got to tell the truth. It's a lot easier, you yeah. know. Um, and and she's brilliant in that way. And and anyone who's had her as a doctor, mm. as their doctor, it, it, she's just very good at it. Yeah. And 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 now, of course, since then, the governor appointed her. Governor Scott appointed her yeah. the board of medicine. Now she runs Florida Healthy Kids. And of course, she runs. More importantly, she runs our house. As she as she said very well one day, she says, "Mike, you might run the Senate, but I run the house." Amen. <laughs> like, I love that. That is so cute. I'm like, well, you're it's, right. I'm it's not. pretty catchy. And she's great. And and you know, she's she's a lot more fun than I am. What is it like having two ambitious people? Because she's a doctor. You're a politician. Well, you're people, For, former, but yeah. former yeah. former politician. And so you guys are an ambitious couple. So what is that like? Like you butt heads on certain. Like how is that? Yeah, we're both type A, and uh, it's it's a challenge at times. I mean, you know, I, I, I can win debates on the floor. I can't win them at the house. You yeah. know? So <laughs> it, it, it was a challenge. But it, we, we, we find our, our, our areas, and I defer to her on certain things. She defers to me on certain things. And, and we're, we, we, have, we have, I mean, to your point earlier, and our, our, kind of our conversation point is we, we share common values. Yeah. And, and that, that's, what, that's the foundation for all this relationship. And so we have our ups and downs, of course. But in general, we, we, you know, we, we put the right things first. But we are incredibly ambitious. We want our kids to be, do better than we have done. And that's a lot of, I got to admit, it's probably a lot of pressure on our kids. 
but we we just want uh, the most for our kids and we want the most out of our lives. This is a short time on earth. We want to make an impact, want to make a positive impact. And, 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 you know, we almost wish there were more hours in a day. Oh, yeah. And that's the challenge. But it's, it's you know, you, to find that light, right life partner is difficult, yeah. especially with everything going on in the world. And it's we try to do the right things, try to balance yeah. fun and, and hard work and, and, and be a good example for our kids. And I think that's the biggest thing. And not that this is a dating advice show, but finding somebody with the common goal that you guys have. At the end of the day, your, your goals are the same. They might look differently. You guys have different gifts, obviously, and different different passions, but your common goal is, you know, to, to raise your kids, to be a positive impact. And I think a lot of people are, again, going back to the family, they don't care about that anymore. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of bleeds over. Um, what are some like daily disciplines that you have implemented in your life? Um, waking up, working out, like what, what are things that you do that made you successful? Well, I, I think, you know, I got to admit, I got married later in life. So I, I got to admit, that's kind of an advantage because you can kind of focus on your career and not jeopardize your family when you're, if you get married, a bit, uh, married later in life. I was able to do things as a single guy to advance my career. I actually got elected before I met Stephanie, at least got uh, for, a relationship with Stephanie. Yeah. And, I, but, and so I was very disciplined. I mean, I was up early. I was the first one at the office. Uh, I was the one doing the extra things. Uh, for example, I knew if I wanted to get ahead at a young age, I had to do more because I didn't have the experiences that other people had, and I, I applied to my political career. But I, my foundational elements is that before I go to bed, um, as soon as I wake up, I'm, I give thanks to God. Mm. I give thanks to my parents. I, 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 I try to bless now our, our kids and my, my brother's kids first yeah. and, and think about people who are in my life. I, I, I almost want to get a game plan before the day begins and, and before the day ends. I think it's important to kind of look back at your day and, and understand what you have. I, I'm a very much of a list maker as well. Before I go to bed, I've got the five things I've got to do that day. And yeah. obviously the, the cell phone helps that, you know, keep yeah. that in order. And, and now in my new life as a consultant for companies around the world, my my focus now in a, prof in a professional life is how do I help them become more successful, whether it be in regulations, uh, whether it be to uh, have them make more money, to be happier, whatever the or the candidate to win an election, whatever my uh, client might have, and so I'm I'm, I'm very focused on that, and I always focus also on being attentive to the people in my life. I don't like it when I call someone and they don't call me back for a week later. Uh, and like, kind of like you and I seem to be very similar. You sent me a text. I'm right back at it. And back, yeah. I mean, Confirming. Plus, and, if yeah. you don't let things build up. Yeah. And, and you take care of it. So I've always been a believer in, in being a taskmaster of if you if you put things aside, you procrastinate. Bad things happen. you yeah. got to confront issues. I'm not going to get into names, but I had a recent very someone really close to me. They let things snowball, yeah. and they just lost control. And because it just became too big a pile for them to handle, you gotta you gotta knock those things out as quickly as possible. You know, take care of the big rocks first, uh, and then the smaller ones. But you gotta have a daily plan, and and you also have to have and, and do the things what I think you're doing, which is I've got a vision of where I want to be in five years. How do I get there? You're not gonna take shortcuts. How are you gonna get there? And you gotta have a plan of action, and you gotta be responsive to people, kind of like we talked about. If you look out for others first, you're gonna be more successful in the long run. I think too many people are thinking selfishly, and this is where they say sometimes get in some trouble. Yeah, like what can I get? What can I get? That's like the forefront of their thoughts, and I think putting others first, you start to realize, wow, like. This they are helping me as well by me helping them. It's like mutually beneficial. Um, you, how many books have you written? 
by the way. This will be our fourth. Yeah. Fourth book. So it seems to me that you're a really busy guy. So <laughs> it's good that you have these disciplines implemented so that you can get stuff done. So what is it like writing a book? It's a lot of hard work. And, and what, what I always do, and again, I, go, I, I, I hope not boring the audience with this, but it's very foundational. You, you want to build a base. And so when, we, when I came up with each of these book ideas, it was a vision of, I, like our, my first book was called 10 Big Issues Facing Our Generation. And I was like, Ooh. to your point earlier, most students don't know anything about Medicare, Medicaid, taxes, defense policy, whatever it might be. And I was like, I want to write a book so that a person can read this who are 18 to 22 year old at the college and they can understand from it what a liberal thinks, what a conservative thinks. And so I kind of came with this idea. I went to my co-author. She was a professor also at the school. She's a liberal. I'm a conservative. Mm-hmm. So let's write a book together so our students can have both sides of the story. They decide what's in their oh, like perspective. That. And so we literally had a huge outline. And then just like you're with your body, we had a skeleton. In others, mm-hmm. And then we just slowly fleshed it out. And that's how I write my books. I have a kind of a big picture look at things. And then I slowly flesh it out. So the first book was designed, there's 10 big issues. And, and then I slowly flesh it out, but not so much where people lose interest. I want to make sure that the big picture beyond the bumper sticker, but not so much that they can be weighed down by the right. information. My second book was dealing with the history of uh, Florida and Florida politics in general, and, and a kind of a primer of what it's like to run for office. A third book I, I co-authored on, on the science. I wrote a chapter in that. And then this, my latest book is the Republican Party, believe it or not, used to be the absolute minority party in Florida. Literally zero members of the legislature, let alone Congress or yeah. U.S. Senate. Now the, the dominant party in Florida. So I co-authored this with a person who lived in the early stages of the rise of the Republican Party. I wrote the second half of the book. And it was, again, designed to tell the story. How did the Republicans become the dominant party in Florida? Our book, which comes out in October, tells that story from the insider's perspective, not just the newspaper version. And so what do you, what's the biggest thing you want people to get away from this last book that you wrote? I, th- I think kind of like what you and I are discussing today, that it's not an overnight thing. You, to, to change hearts and minds, you have to really put the sweat equity in. You have to invest in people. You have to help people understand your ideas. You need to listen to them and, and try to provide policies that would really make a positive change in their lives. And I, I think in, in my opinion, the book tells a couple things. One is Republicans outwork the Democrats, and their policy ideas were better in the sense that they were empowering individuals, whereas I felt, and again, it's unbiased, I admit it, yeah. the Democrats were, were trying to empower government. And I think it's one of the things we're facing today, when we talked about earlier, but a little bit of socialism. If you choose socialism, you choose to have other people have power over your life. Mm. And I'm, I'm not ready to do that. Uh, I, I don't think that if, if we somehow gave all the decisions to Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth mm-hmm. Warren or, or Joe Biden, for that matter, that my life is going to get better. If I just gave them more of my tax dollars, that suddenly my life's going to be better. I don't think so. God put us on this earth to to not be a ward of the state, yeah. but to make individual decisions and be good to thy neighbor. And I, I feel like the Republicans did a better job of, of on the core issues, protecting people's families by public safety measures, by providing more education choice, keeping taxes low so that you can spend the money the way you want to do it. I mean, these are fundamental decisions that are made. And I, I just feel in my heart of hearts that America is not designed to be a big government that tells you what to do. I think it's the it should be a ground up as opposed to top down, and that's what we're trying to convey in this story that this this is about people, this is about ideas, it's not about power. And I think like with you also being a dad, you're able to kind of look at your kids in the same way and be like, I I want you to form your own 
like opinion. I want you as as an adult. And I think that's like the biggest thing is some whatever political party you stand for. A lot of times people want to push an agenda instead of, again, like educate as a, a dad. Do you have to fi- do you find yourself kind of being like, all right, I don't want to shape my kids opinions on politics. Yeah, it's it's a different world. And, and uh, it, it's a challenge not to. I mean, what, what I think that we talked about earlier, it's one being a good listener. And the second one is that always when you're talking to someone, try to understand and, and see things from their perspective before you push on your own. I mean, look, I've got to admit it's hard for me to relate to some folks who are, came from a single parent household, yeah. right? Or a, a maybe a different race, let alone different gender. They didn't. Yeah. I didn't have the same life experiences as they did. Right. Um, with my kids, to your point, I don't know what it's like to be under the pressure of Instagram and and tweets and texts and so forth that could really damage their psyche and, and make them feel bad. And and immediately everyone knows some story or picture and so forth and how they live and die by these. And I try to relate to my kids by walking in their footsteps or their perspective or trying to say, you know, when I was a kid, I. Just because we're doing okay now doesn't mean that it was all you know, roses. Right. And, and it's a challenge. And the other one, and I hope I don't sound arrogant in this, but no. you know, we, a lot of the families we hang out with have done very well. We, right. we are we're so blessed with, the, with a good lifestyle. And, and one of the things we actually think about, it's very much a first world problem, but if, if your kids grow up with, with a little bit more wealth and uh, things mm-hmm. that other people have, are they going to be as hungry as I was when I was 13 years old? Yeah, and, and and I hate to say that it is a first world problem, but you, I worry about that. My kids are they going to respect the dollar they just I the gave hustle. them? Yeah. And I want to I want to give them all the things I wasn't able to afford as a kid. Right, be clothes or cars or bicycles and so forth. Yeah. And, and to me, that's a very human thing. And the opposite, I'm sure a lot of parents are just the opposite. They want to give their kids that, and they can't afford that. And I, I I need to be more responsive to that. And that's a challenge that I have, but I understand where other people are coming from. That's a very humble approach to look at your life and your blessings and be like, you know, I'm thankful for them, but I also don't want to teeter on the other side where I'm just like over, like provide over, not quote unquote, over providing for your kids because I think kids should be provided for, but you don't want to give them too much of a cush life to where they don't appreciate the hustle type of thing. Exactly. How do you handle when somebody maybe at a dinner party opposes your opinion? Yeah, I, I, I've learned how to couch that very much. I, I actually keep politics a lot out of my life, believe it or not. I mean, people know who I am for the most part, and they, they, they get it. And I, 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 I kind of steer away from different things. Whenever when someone brings up a really liberal point that they're passionate about, I'll either kind of deflect it and move on to another conversation with either somebody else or, or, or another issue with that individual. Or I'll, I'll, I might just pose a question because, look, candidly, I know both sides of the issue. I mean, that's what I'm good at. I, I don't I understand just the Republican perspective. I understand the Democrat perspective. I, I need to know their argument if I'm going to make my argument better. And so when they throw something at me that is either outrageous or way out there, I'll just ask some kind of question. Let's say let's socialists like uh, Bernie Sanders should be the next president. And they're, they're going by. I'm like, OK, so let me just make sure I understand. your So if we yeah. just gave more money to the government— your life's going to be about better. We just gave about you know ten percent more of your money to the government. That that make it better. And they're like, well, no, no, that's not it. I'm like, okay, that, I just wanted to make sure I understood where you're coming from. Or, oh yeah, but yeah, I like Bernie's perspective. He's got a good point on this or that. I might throw them a bone on an issue that I think standards make sense on. But life's too short to get in an argument or to make it uncomfortable for someone. And and I sometimes I said before, you know, you got a good point. I think on this one we're just going to disagree. 
yeah. and, and on a variety of issues, I might just go there because it's not worth ruining a relationship. Just like, you know, you've had it a hundred times probably in this interview show where someone's made a factual mistake. Mm-hmm. And if you sit there and beat them up, hey, you're, you're wrong. You know, that happened in 1848, not 1824. You know, that's what's the point of that? Yeah. Right? yeah. It, 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 it honestly gives you like this block between you and the person you're talking to, which ultimately we don't want, you know, if we're trying to influence people for Christ, first and foremost, we don't want to have that. Were you always like that? Or was there a time where you were like, you probably could have gotten hot headed and like, trust me on some issues, I get a little aggressive, but, uh, and uh, look, I'm competitive. Yeah. Uh, Hyper competitive sports. Yeah, I did. And, and, and politics is sports and (laughs) I play golf and I'm still getting mad sometimes I did a bad shot. Uh, you have to be right. Um, to make yourself better, you need to take on tougher opponents. And, and to your point, we're trying to, uh, which I, I really try to tell my kids the same thing. Pick your battles. I can, my wife even tells me, you know, Mike, pick your battles. I tell my wife sometimes, you know, pick your battles. It, it, I, that's, that's the challenge you always face in the political life. And the same with my clients. You know, I've got to pick my battles where how do we get to the, to the promised land here as opposed to mm. worrying about the little squabble we're in today. And I, I try to do that, and but there are times where I'll make mistakes, where I get too aggressive, or, or, or maybe I should have been more aggressive. You know, it all depends on the circumstance. So where you're at now, you've you briefly mentioned you're you're consulting for businesses. So what made you get into that? What was? Well, I didn't think I was. It was weird when I ended my political career in 2012. Uh, I, I thought I'd just go back to teaching at University of Florida. I mean, that's what I expected to do. Maybe write some more books and all that kind of stuff. People were still trying to get me to run for office, and I said I might do that in the future. And when I was done, I had a lot of people, business clients, saying, "You know, I really like the way you handle these different issues in the legislature." Would you help me with this problem? And another one, another one. And I would go consult with them. I'd charge them whatever it was, and, and I'd solve their problem. And, and this business, I'm not advertising on the radio. I'm not, I'm not on TV. I don't mm-hmm. have, you know, I don't sell ma- direct mail saying, hire me to solve your problems. It's just a word-of-mouth business for the most That's part. Cool. And so within about a year or so, I had all of these clients who said, you know what, we like the way you handle it things. Mm. We like you because we like the way you handle things. Could you help us solve your problems? It could be governmental, could be business to business, could be with introductions. I do a lot of work on Fox 35 here in Orlando. Yeah. I mean, all, a variety of things. And I've been really blessed that I've had some really cool clients. And I, I, I like all the clients I have. The, and the ones that I have disagreed with, I felt to our point earlier, you know, it's just not working out. I appreciate the opportunity to work. The, it's, I don't think it's going to work out. And you know, new clients might come along down the line. And so uh, my job in it, it, consulting is nothing more than trying to understand someone's problem and then figuring out a way to alleviate that problem. And it could be in, in a variety of ways. So to, to me, it's because of your character over time that people reach out to you and, and they, they trust you. You're a trusted advisor on whatever issue. And I think that's that's really neat. Um, kind of wrapping this up a little bit. I don't want to take too much of your time. But what is something that you want people to walk away with? What's your write it down? What what is what does Mike Caridopoulos want people to remember? Well, we talked about it. I, I think the best thing you can write down is to you have two ears and one mouth. Use those in, you know, perspective, and and you'll be more successful. Because I found, and I know today our job was to talk, right? Right. But I really find that when I really listen to someone, 
whether it be my job as a former senator or now as a consultant, that that's when I get the information I need. I, I'm not, you know, it, just like my wife does in the doctor's office, she's not, the person doesn't walk in the office and she looks at him and says, uh, da, 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 da. she's tell me what problems you're experiencing and listen and listen and listen. And invariably with your expertise, you can figure out from what they tell you what path to take. And I, I think people should just kind of slow down and it, whether it be in their business relationship, more importantly, their personal relationship, listen to the folks that you're hanging out with. Mm. Really take the time, ask them questions that are important to them. Because it sounds cliche, but when people are talking about themselves, they like you a lot more. <laughs> I mean, I, I really like you a lot more right now because you're letting me talk. Right? <laughs> <laughs> no, that, right? I, I mean, it's, it's very valid. And I love that because my mind, you know, really jumps to kind of like the gospel of like, God's not sitting there telling you every single thing that's wrong with you and why you're not going to make it in life and why you're not worthy and why you're not good enough for this job, that job, that person, whatever he's listening. He's tell me your problems so that I can better listen and I can love on you where you need to be loved. And I think we're losing the art of that in politics. We're losing it in the classroom. We're losing that in our families. Everybody is so quick. And that's what I love about your story is it just it seems like you were just in life. God was building you and molding you to be a good listener. And with that has come success naturally because you've learned to listen and people trust you. They, they want you around. And I think that's ultimately what strokes our ego. What gets us excited is being liked and being loved. And so I think, um, the whole point of, we have one mouth and two ears, write it down, write it down. This is write it down with Mike Herodopoulos. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thanks, It's been a pleasure. And and I wish you continued success. This is a great format and I'm sure people will love this. This is just a good conversation to have and and hopefully folks can learn a little bit from it. Yes. Thank you so much. Thanks, Brooke. Thank you for listening to the write it down podcast. This podcast is a part of the 1513 network. You can catch a variety of shows on their website, 1513.com. If you enjoy listening to Write It Down, please subscribe, share with your friends, and if there's any ink left in your pen, write a review. For more content, follow the fun on Instagram by following at W-I-D-P-O-D. That spells WIDPOD. Super cool. Stands for Write It Down Podcast, but it's abbreviated to WIDPOD. Anyways, thanks for listening, and we will catch you later.